right, so you now know a little bit about the history of St. Patrick. There will be a test at the end of service. Now, uh, if, I know he talks even faster than I do, so I don't know if you caught all of that, but... Oh, am I not on? myself off. Okay, now I am. So we are going to get back into the book of Luke. But before we do that, let's have a word of prayer and reverence even for for this saint that we celebrate today. I thought that if you haven't caught what happened is this was a a fifth century missionary. (laughs) And, And we this holiday as we know it, you know, we like to find ways to make holidays about revelry, don't we? So we have green beer, we have corned beef and hash, we have wearing green and all this different stuff. But originally this was about uh, the Christian faith being spread throughout all of Ireland. So this is how it all began. All right, so let's take a few moments just with some reverence for this saint and this day that we get to observe just, just every seven years on Sunday morning. All right, well, Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we are reminded that we must learn from the past. That as we sit here this morning, we're reminded that others have gone before us. Others have made great sacrifices so that the kingdom of God can advance and the gospel of Jesus Christ can be spread. So we thank you for men like St. Patrick and others that have allowed us to have the freedoms that we have today. As we're reminded of this. We're reminded of our responsibility for this day and the call that you have on our lives in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, um, we have got quite a bit to to cover today, and and I'm going to um, continue our series on the book of Luke. And we are in Luke 17, verses 17 through, uh, excuse me, chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. And there's just a lot uh, in this chapter 
Uh, I'm going to kind of hang right here today just so I don't, uh, if I get too much commentary, we'll be here for a long time because there's just a lot going on. So I'm going to try to stick with my notes as much as I can this morning. But this title that I gave you, Before the Vultures Gather, all right? That's not just me being cute. That's actually what Jesus says in your Bible in Luke 17, verses, Luke 17, verse 37. The last line of this text that we're covering says, he re- Where, Lord, they asked. And he replied, Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Now, I don't know, but when I read the Bible, weird things come to mind. Like, I think of this verse being used, like, and if you guys ever watch boxing or maybe an MMA fight, I see like this being something you would say to your opponent, like when they go up to touch gloves, like right before the fight begins, where there is a dead body, the vultures will gather. And then step off, step back in the fight, and he's just thrown off of his game completely, right? What in the world was that? What does he mean? But Jesus said this. Jesus said this dark, mysterious thing. Like, what in the world, Jesus? What is this? Where the, where the, dead, body, where, where the dead bodies, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. So, we're going to learn a little bit more about that. We're going to, before I get to the end of this message, um, I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that. But I tell you that nobody seems to know exactly what it means, but there are some clear allusions, some clear connections to similar Old Testament passages, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that. But the title of the message today is Before the Vultures Gather. So we're just going to go right through this text, and I'm going to kind of preach these in, in sections here. There's a lot to be said. So the verse that Rod read to us, Luke 17, verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, that's the question that they ask him. Now these seem to be more skeptical rather than hostile Pharisees. They're more interested in Jesus as a teacher rather than just trying to catch him, say something crazy so they can stone him or or have reason to execute him. They are interested in engaging him in the ongoing rabbinical discussions of the day. And so just like we talked about this in our Bible study the other night in Luke 13, 23, they ask a similar question. They say something like, Lord, is there only a few people that are going to be saved? And then Jesus doesn't answer their question directly, but he responds with the narrow gate passage that enter through the narrow gate, he says. And if you haven't noticed, if you haven't read the Bible before, but if you have, you may have noticed that Jesus does this a lot. People ask him questions, and he doesn't answer the question exactly the way they wanted him to. I saw a movie that, that portrayed this brilliantly just a couple weeks ago. There's a movie out there, it might only be on Netflix, but it's called An Interview with God. And I, what was, there were some things that the end, personally, I'm just giving you my little rating, my thumbs up, thumbs up. The end left you a little bit empty, but the concept of the conversation with God was brilliant. Because here's what happened. Here's this guy who is struggling with his own faith. And he asks God questions. And he's, he's wrestling with his faith. A better word is that he's resisting it. And you know what happens when someone who is resisting their faith, resisting the will of God in their life, starts asking God questions? It actually, they portrayed the reality brilliantly that it's actually really awkward. Because you know what, the, what God does? He, he, he will affirm you sometimes. 
And we don't want to receive that affirmation because then we have to like, be thankful for this person that loves us that we just want to be mad at. <laughs> and then sometimes he'll give a nice rebuke. He'll, he'll point out dark areas in, in, in this man's life. And he doesn't want to deal with those. He just wants to run from them. He doesn't want to be exposed to all these things that he knows are bad and dark. And then, and then the Lord does this other thing like I just talked about where he'll ask him a question. And he doesn't answer it the way he wants him to. He kind of goes around it. He tries to explain things in ways that that maybe the hero will understand. And so if we're resisting God, this interaction can be really uncomfortable. Just even as similar to what's going on in this passage, as Pharisees are just really skeptical. But if we accept the will of God in our life, (coughs) we can receive the affirmation that the Lord has for us to know that we have a loving Father that loves us. We can also receive the rebuke that the Lord has for us and the area, the dark areas that we need to correct in our lives because we know we have a loving Father who is trying to help us. And we can accept, just like Jack Nicholson said in a popular movie, that sometimes we can't handle the truth. And so what the Lord doesn't tell us and reveal to us about our future is his protection and his hovering around us that I got you covered. You can't handle all of what's happening in the future right now. You don't need to understand, but you need to know that I am here and I am present. Because if you know all of this, you'll either mess it all up, (laughs) you'll take yourself and mess it up, or it may scare you. You may have worries and anxieties that you were just not created to handle. But I am here and I've got you covered. And so this is what's happening. Jesus... uh, We need to recognize that God's timing, listen to me, God's timing is often his protection. We want everything to happen right now. Your will be done right now, this second on earth as it is in heaven. But God's weight is often our protection. He's preparing something for you. He's preparing what is next, but he needs your attention. He needs you to be ready to move when the door is open. So this is just what happens when, when we ask God, when the Pharisees are asking Jesus these questions. So he gets ready to, so Jesus answers this question, and he answers this whole rest of, of this passage is an answer to this question. He answers in an already but not yet context. I've taught on that before, and I hope I'm not being too theological here, but you see this in Scripture a lot, where Jesus is talking about how these things are being fulfilled now right in front of you, but they're also going to be fulfilled completely when I return. And this was impossible for the Jews because they never saw two comings. (coughs) They were waiting for the Messiah to come right now and set up his kingdom. (coughs) So his answer, he doesn't give the answer exactly the way that he wants to. But here's what the answer is. Verse 20b says, The coming of the kingdom of God... Is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Sometimes we can't see what is right in front of our face because we're observing it with the wrong senses or with the wrong lenses. This is really... A profound statement if you think about it. We can't see what's happening right in front of us because we're looking with the wrong lenses or with the wrong senses. I think the best example I can think of for this is raising kids. 
If someone were to, to, to see your kids like six or seven times a year, they would be able to see how much they've grown and the wonderful young men and women that they are becoming, men and women of character, men and women of faith. And, okay, this is what we all want, right? We know it doesn't always work out that way. But a lot of what we get to see develop in our kids is really, really good. And other people can see that in little pockets of time and, and observe that and affirm that. But if you're in the thick of that and your young man or your young woman is causing you endless stress and endless anger... And this is happening, like your relationship with your kids is live and it's active, it's happening now. If you equivocate this, your stress and your anger and your fear and your frustration with the opposite of a, I'm raising a wonderful young man or a wonderful young woman, you're going to be really confused. Because what's happening right in front of you are those golden opportunities to be a parent. But we often don't see it that way. We just see the stress, the challenges, and we even go so far to call ourselves a failure, but we don't see that the Lord has given us an opportunity to lead right in front of us. You'll get over that season. That season will end in a few days from now, in a few years from now, someone else will come and affirm, hey, these guys seem like they've, they've learned some things about themselves. Yeah, you don't know what it was just like a year ago. We went through some great challenges. See, we often can't see what's going on right in front of us. It often causes us great stress and great fear just because there is conflict So Jesus tells them, if you are trying to observe the coming of Christ by signs and by the timing of things, although that may may be just a bit relevant, you're off off on what you're looking for. Or even the direction, um, you're, you're off on what you're looking for. All these things may be somewhat relevant, but they are secondary. The truth, the reason is because the people are the subjects of the kingdom of God, not the timekeepers. He is. I'll say another verse about that later. So the application here is real simple. Jesus says you're concerned about tomorrow, but Christ knows all about yesterday and tomorrow, and he is primarily concerned about you right here, right now, in this moment. So before we move on, even to the next text, just everybody right here, bow your heads, close your eyes. we with me for just one second. I want you to ask the Lord a simple question. What is going on right in front of me that I am missing? That I should be embracing? That I should be joyful about? That I should be participating in? What is going on right in front of me that I'm missing? You've asked, thank you, you can lift up your eyes. Now, you've asked the question, now look out, because I believe before the sermon's over, the Lord may answer that question if he hasn't already answered it. So we're going to move on, verses 22 through 25. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So this next point is really simple. There's a clear theological point here. When Christ returns, everyone will know it. There's a clear theological point. So if your pastor were to come to you next week and say, guys, I've had this revelation, 
Christ has physically incarnated me, okay? And today, we are now going to begin to do live animal sacrifices in our church to me, and I will be your new Messiah. Now, I know that sounds far-fetched, but the scary thing is there's been cults that have been started for crazier ways of thinking than that. There's not going to be, you're not going to miss the second coming of Christ. There's going to be a time when he's going to return and everyone is going to know it. Visible, physical, the presence of God is, is going, everyone is going to know. And so Jesus is making that really clear to his hearers in this moment. So the next one, verses 26 through 29. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. The next point is the kingdom of God will interrupt the everyday affairs of life. That's actually a picture of, of, in China of two people having a wedding and in the middle of their wedding, an earthquake struck. One of the biggest earthquakes in the country of China's history. Jesus brings home a point in this text that suddenly everything is going to change. This fits Luke's ideas all through his gospel of his emphasis on the poor. We've been talking about this. This is a theme, and I don't, I'm not doing this. This just keeps happening throughout the text, the gospel of Luke, that his emphasis is on the ability, how much easier it is at times for the poor to come to Christ and the turning of the table here. Where this is no longer going to be a, a kingdom of religious elites. This is now going to be a kingdom for everyone. And if you are consumed with the things of this world, you can miss it. Most Christians have that attitude that Jesus loves us and died for us. But other than that, life continues as normal, right? As your pastor, I'm telling you today, no. <laughs> he is a jealous God and he wants your life. He wants all of you. And so these warnings are that if we are consumed with the things of this world and we are not keeping watch, not with the times and the signs, if we are not keeping watch spiritually, we can be sucked into all of these things and destruction can come upon us quickly and poverty. Destruction can come upon us quickly. We assume and consume security and comfort because it can be obtained. So here's the point, is that the kingdom of God will not fit into your life conveniently. It will interrupt your everyday life, and if you are listening, it may be even interrupting your life right now. You have a sense of what it is the Lord wants you to do, but it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to be uncomfortable, and, or, or you're in the middle of conflict right now. This is the moment, perhaps, that you were created for, to trust God in the middle of and see his power and experience his joy. Matthew eleven twelve 12 says this. 
It says the kingdom of God. Uh, from the days into the John of Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. This verse gets translated different ways, but you may have heard it in another version that says the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Um, a, a quick, concise way to explain that is that the kingdom of God, force is involved in accepting the kingdom of Christ, but force is also involved in resisting it. The force of resistance can seem natural. The struggle is more prevalent in the life of the believer where there is tension between the flesh and the spirit, or it's prevalent in the powers and principalities of darkness that know what the will of God is. So when you know what it is that the Lord wants from you, there, you're, there, you're, there is either some force that you're exerting to accept it, or there's some force that you're exerting to resist it. And the point he's making is these things are all happening quickly. The kingdom of God is happening right now. So how are you responding to it? Are you rejecting it and being consumed with the things of this world? Or are you applying force in receiving the kingdom of God, placing Christ as your king? That perfect example is when crisis does, when crisis happens in your life. You can be angry, you can be vengeful, you can, you can immerse yourself in paralyzing grief and sorrow for years, and you can be the king of your own life. I'm going to keep it this way. I'm mad. I can't believe this happened to me. If there's a God, I can't believe he let this happen to me. Or you can make God the king of your life. Every time you have a moment when you say, this isn't what I had planned, this isn't what I expected, this isn't what I thought, this is an opportunity to remind yourself of who your king is and receive the blessing that God has for you. I shared the story of St. Patrick. St. Patrick return, he comes back home, comes back home to Britain. He can be comfortable, he can live a life happily ever after and be about himself. But he senses the kingdom of God, the call on his life, something that he was created to do that won't make sense to anyone else in this world that I'm supposed to go back to the people that took me captive and I'm supposed to spread the gospel to them. That would have been, if he, so now that he hears that call, he had a choice to exert some force to resist it or he could exert some force in accepting the will of God for his life. I'm going to move quickly. Verse 30 through 36. It says, It will be just like this, like this on the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, and one will be taken and the other left. Two will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. The key point there is the rapture. This talks a little bit about the rapture and looking back. Now, many uh, theologians use these verses to talk a little bit about an expected time when believers will be taken um, before the second coming of Christ. Um, that they get the word rapture from the, the word caught up, being caught up in the air to be with the Lord. Now, I just want to give this teaching. The Church of the Brethren does not hold to any specific rapture theory and that's really good because me as a person I don't either there are three theories out there a pre-tribulation rapture um, that means that we we leave as this before most evangelicals believe in a pre-trib rapture perhaps I lean in that side 
Um, there's also a theory called a mid-trib rapture that will be taken in the middle of a time of tribulation. And then there's the theory of a post-tribulation rapture. And it's interesting because most people in third world countries who are suffering today as Christ followers, that's the theory that they adhere to. There's an interesting idea that in Americans we can't imagine that we would have to go through suffering as Christians. But already where Christians are going through suffering, they assume that they will have to continue to go through suffering. But this is a real thing in Scripture that the people of God will be with the Lord when they return for final judgment. So I haven't reserved a lot of time to talk more about this, so I'd be happy to talk more about it with you later. But, the, here's, but this text, Lot's wife, they've been given a clear command. Jesus references Lot's wife in the days of Noah. Noah's getting ready. There's a flood coming, but the people wanted to continue eating and drinking and marrying and doing, going about their, their normal lives. Lot was given a, a clear command to him and his family. As you leave Sodom, do not look back. And Lot's wife, she could get her body out of Sodom, but she couldn't get her heart out of Sodom. And she did the simple thing she was told not to do, and she looked back. And Scripture says she became a pillar of salt. Now, this, so in this passage, we see that there will be judgment coming. And we have to honest, honestly ask ourselves, am I living for him or am I living for myself? So finally, the main piece of our text today, where there is a dead body. Here's what it says. Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Matthew 24, 27 gives a similar text. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. How do I explain this? So, we have vultures in Ohio, and sometimes the vultures do the county's work for them, don't they? Because it's somebody's responsibility to come and scrape the dead things off the ground, but sometimes animals take care of half or sometimes all of that job for them. You know, maybe if you leave it there long enough, something else will take care of it. Isaiah 46.11 and Ezekiel 39.4 talk about ravenous birds that take care of the judgment of the Lord naturally. So Jesus is saying nations and men, they destroy themselves by being consumed with the very things that, are, that, that, that God did not have for them. So there's this natural destruction that is taking place in the earth that will ultimately be ta- that will take place upon the judgment day physically. But Jesus is alluding to the fact that right now this is already happening right in front of you spiritually. And the natural destructive forces, like the vultures in the air, can sense it. They smell death. And Jesus gets dark sometimes. And he says there are dark things coming to those that don't choose him. So before the vultures gather is another way of saying before it is too late. Death and darkness will have to be removed one day. There are ways of approaching life and religion that are dangerous. Life by being consumed and engulfed with the pursuit of this world and the desires of the flesh. Religion being consumed with the secondary things of faith, not the primary. And I don't know if you're going to get that verse up there, Nick, but Acts 1.7 tells us 
It is not for you, Jesus says this, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Not to be consumed with these things, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. He says, you will receive power to be what? To be his witnesses. To go on my behalf, just like St. Patrick did to the place that he never would have wanted to go back to. When Jesus said the words Judea and Samaria, Samaria would have meant that same kind of thing to his hearers as it did to St. Patrick. They hated the Samaritans. You mean I'm going to go and reach out to them? We can only do those things if we are about the kingdom of God and not about ourselves. So the question. Pharisees wanted to ask Jesus a big rabbinical question. And he wasn't interested in their rabbinical debates. He looked at them and said, what is the Lord speaking to you today? The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Forget about the future for just a moment. What about now? As I prayed a few moments ago across this room, I just want to encourage everyone at this moment, you can play that song, bow your head and close your eyes. At this time, if I can just get half of our deacons to come forward, everyone across this room, please bow your heads, close your eyes. Right now, I want to now give you a few moments to discern the answer to that question. You've asked it. I'll take a few moments of listening. What is right in front of you that you're missing? Because you're so consumed with everything else. Right in front of you. But you're missing it. Maybe it's a relationship that you've neglected. Maybe it's forgiveness that you need to give. Or maybe it's forgiveness that you need to pursue. Maybe it's resources that you could have that you could be using. Maybe it's just a constant negative attitude that you're carrying with you. Today, the Lord wants you to let go of that. I want to give you a few moments to respond to the Lord in your own way as you're sitting there, but if you feel like you need to take a step forward and just need some others to agree with you, and would, just be, would, would love to have others be in prayer with you for a few moments, we've got our deacons and myself here. We would love to pray with you. So if you would be in need of prayer, we're going to let this song play for a few moments, and if you would be in need of prayer and would like to come forward, That's what we're here for is the body of Christ. We want to agree with you on moments like this when you recognize what is right in front of me that I've been missing all along. Today is the day to respond. Your Savior Savior is always about this moment. Not the next moment that we're always so consumed with. Not where we're going to eat after service. Not what we got to do this week. Right now is your opportunity to hear the voice of God and respond to it. So I want to encourage you to do that at your seat. And if you would be in need of prayer, please come forward. We'd love to agree with you.
We thank you for that you are a God that is present and speaks to us in this moment. The kingdom of God is in our midst. Just speak that over all of you. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It is here now. You have the choice to accept his his lordship in your life. Or you can choose to be your own king. God, may I see a people in front of me that recognize your voice and say yes to you as their king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.